Two sisters lived on separate sides of the states. One in NYC and the other LA. They both moved to Chicago and decided to stay. Now here's their playful podcast packed with Kid Lit Parlay. Children's books. Are they really that great? Talking children's books is with Kate and Fuse 8. Children's books. Why, what, and how? Fuse 8 and Kate will break it down for you now. So I got a little story for you. Okay. Okay. So when I used to work, my very first job out of college, uh, I was a receptionist for a refrigeration company in St. Paul, Minnesota, and I had a coworker who was Canadian, and who was determined that I was not busy enough. So occasionally she would come over to me, and she would say some very dreaded words. She would say, "I think you need a project." It was the worst word in the world. I hated the word project, but. Right now, Kate, I believe you are working on a family project. I'm in the process of... uh, A process with a project. Yep. What's your project about, Kate? I took our grandmother's autobiography, transcribed Mm -hmm. it. Which was not published, I should say. It was a handwritten memoir. She handwrote over over 100 pages of her life. I typed them all out. I asked for pictures from all of her children uh, and... um, trying to put together a book very nice very good and this uh, kind of speaks to something that i've always sort of believed in the back of my mind make sure your descendants have at least one member who is anal retentive and can put things in order yep and uh can encapsulate your life and uh also organizes this podcast not really but you know it sounded good it's it's in order what is this podcast about oh um making books for canadians Yes. And, uh, wait, what? We have done, Canadian, wait, backing up, checking facts, checking facts. Have we done any Canadian books? You know what we should do? We should do, like, there is one book in particular that is the most Canadian, Canadian picture book of all time. It is a Canadian classic. I suppose I should do it. I don't know if I can get my hands on it here, but I would love to know if our listeners can actually guess what book I'm I'm speaking Does of. Does it involve moose and maple syrup? Neither of those, but you you are so close. You are so very close. There's like a third Poutine. thing. Keep going. You're so close. Come on, man. Mike Myers? Oh, you're like on the cusp of it. You're just you're just gotta like if I just poked you, you'd like fall right in. I don't know. It's hockey, man. Oh. It's a hockey based picture book and it is enormously popular you know seattle just got their own hockey team so i'd be down for that. that's a thing yeah why why They're called the kraken <laughs> it's a thing wait so like every time they the guys are released from yeah. their side someone yells release the kraken have you never seen like a golden knights game i mean they put I think on it's fair to say i've never seen a golden they're knights based game. in vegas they have a whole pageantry of like a knight coming out to defend and it's oh it's all it's epic i would much rather be a i kraken. can't wait to see what the kraken does marvelous and while we're on the topic of evil sea creatures who are you i'm kate i'm betsy and uh this is fuse eight and kate where we don't talk about canadian books all that much but we do talk about classic picture books and what makes them a classic Now, um, as it turned out, I would have guessed that 2020 would be the deathiest death year that ever deathed a podcast. But as it turned out, no, 2021 
has been the year of major children's literature deaths. I mean, we had Lois Ellert, we had Eric Carle, and they were old though. They were quite old. They were they were up there in years, as it were. Um, unfortunately, this last week, we lost someone who was a mere 65. He had already done at least 100 books, and I should say illustrated them. Uh, his name was Floyd Cooper. He passed away, and so I decided, the man had been working for a very long time. I figured, by this point, surely he has a book that people, like, expect to be a classic. And Lord knows, I found it. So I'm going to pull it out of my bag now. Meet Denitra Brown? By? Nikki Grimes? Illustrated by? Floyd Cooper. I believe it came out in 1994, uh, which was, you know, a step or two to go. I should tell some people there were some other books I was considering, and then I discovered they were less than 20 years old. Whereas this book was a clean sweep over the 20-year-old mark. Yep. So uh, I think it was, without a doubt, the number one one I had to pull out. So go read that book. Okay. Excellent. While Kate does her read, let's do a little talking about Mr. Floyd Cooper. I'm not going to encapsulate his life. Uh, plenty of obituaries have done that. He was, without a doubt, one of the nicest people you would meet. And that's saying a lot for the field of children's literature. Uh, but every time I even barely mentioned him in a blog post of some sort, the man always thanked me publicly on Twitter. He was so nice. He was the sweetest guy. I think I ran into him once at a party. It's really hard to remember sometimes, but I think it happened probably at a holiday house party at a ALA conference at some point. But um, a little more recently than that, not that long ago, back on uh, January 5th, in fact, I did an interview with both Carol Boston Weatherford and Floyd himself about their upcoming book at that time, Unspeakable, the Tulsa Race Massacre. And what I found was that the man wasn't just one of the nicest guys, he was also one of the most eloquent. And so what I want to read for you today is a little section from our interview from that time. So I asked him, this is what I said, I said, if I could draw a clear-cut line in the sand between the books that came out when I was a kid and the books coming out today, one of the biggest, and perhaps least remarked upon, differences may be how we frame history for our kids. When I was young, history was taught as a slow, steady walk towards progress with no backtracking. It was as if adults didn't dare show kids that things could get better and then worse again. So I asked him, do you feel like there's a shift in how we teach our children history these days? And can you speak to why this is changing? And Floyd's response was, I certainly would hope so. I believe if we step back and examine where we are now compared to where we once were, we would see the growth of America. On many levels, we can bear witness to the fact that our nation is not static. It is not locked into a single perspective when it comes to anything, really. And that includes our understanding of history and the passing on of that history. I personally link the pervasive assault on truth that we see in our politics and media directly to historical truths that exist and have existed and are now being brought to light. A good thing for America. 
And of course, there will be many who are and were just fine with leaving truth under the rug where it has had been swept for far too long. Eventually, truth will always out. That is different from what it once was. With such a change comes resistance to that change, unwillingness to accept the change, to accept the truth. That can lead to uncomfortable times, but there is a better day on the other side of change. After the wounds have healed, a much better day awaits. Our young will live in better times together in acceptance of the way things really are if we give them the truth. But we must teach them truth in ways they can comprehend. There is no greater gift than truth. Hey, you're back. I'm back today, here to start a brand new day. Uh, yeah, are you rhyming? This is a book of poems. It, it is, in fact, a book of poems. Did I not mention that fact? No. Yeah, there's poems. Yep. They kind of make a story, or they kind of don't. It depends it's on a how story you about it. friendship. Yeah. So how does that their book start? Uh, with a poem. Oh, okay. Well, I did not <laughs> where, see that coming. Where you're introduced to Denitra Brown. Mm-hmm. Is that um, the main character? Uh... Yes. Trick question. I don't even know. I mean, she is, but this is all narrated through the voice of her friend. Yeah, she's not the she's not the narrator. Right. She's the protagonist, but not the narrator. Yeah. So Interesting it's, in a kid's book. Yeah, so unusual. It's, it's a story about friendship of these two girls. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um and the art is I don't know what it's not crayon it's not marker it's not paint okay i've got to explain what this is because no one else does this and i i know that the last time we had a podcast i quoted at length from nick brule it was i quote i quoted him about uh, lois ellert and how influenced he had been and this is the guy who does bad kitty he also put a post up recently about floyd cooper and he explains about the art so can i just read yep. what he had to say okay Floyd employed a method he called a subtractive process in which he would take a board with an oil paint wash and then wipe it away bit by bit until an image emerged. I liken it to what Michelangelo used to describe as the process of sculpture, taking a block of marble and chiseling away at it until the figure inside is released. But to be honest, I own this piece, the one he has on there, I watched him paint something like it, and I still can't wrap my head around how he did it. I'm not kidding. I look at this work, and I look at his process, and my brain really can't piece together how he makes it happen. The only other time I've experienced this mystery of creative genius was when I had the pleasure of watching Leo and Diane Dillon illustrate together. They're the ones who did uh, Why Do Mosquitoes Buzz in People's Ears. But yeah, this is what I've heard, that he would do like the paint first and then would somehow remove it. And create the image underneath. I mean, he should have gotten a Caldecott because... This This is the kicker. He was going to this year. In fact, he may still win it, though I don't know what the rules of the Caldecott are with posthumous awards. It's never happened before. Um, But I was convinced, because he did a book this year on the Tulsa Race Massacre, um, like a kid's book about it, and it was some of his best work I've ever seen. And we were all like, this will be his year. Finally, this will be his year. And then, and then he died. Oh, I know. Right. So I think he might still win, but yeah, we can't, I, I mean, it's gore. It's always been this gorgeous. Yeah. It's really cool. Yeah. Um, and so like each poem is about like a different facet of these girls' lives and their friendship. And one of the poems is just called purple mm-hmm. where she talks about how her friend Anitra loves to wear purple because 
the her mom told her about stories about queens in Timbuktu who all wore purple. And so she wears purple because you never know. She might be a princess. You know what I like about Denitra? Her big old glasses. She that's that's definitely mentioned in one of the poems. Oh, is it actually mentioned in the poem? Yeah. Uh, well, the boys make fun of her for saying that she has. Uh, they call her Coke Bottle Brown because of her, her big, thick and round bifocals. Yeah, which are very nineties, I should say. You know what's very nineties? Was it her vest? Oh yeah. I looked at this and I was like, "Holy crap!" I can tell this is from the nineties. <sighs> I had many a picture. fine vest collection. Um, many, many vests in my closet when I was a little older than her, but around that same era. It, it screams mid-90s. Oh, yes, it does. There's a poem called uh, Culture where uh, the narrator talks about going to uh, the theater and seeing a play even though she didn't want to see it, but then she comes home uh, and she tells her friend Denitra all about it and then they dance and act it all out and I could totally see myself doing the exact same thing with my friends when i was about their age which is probably like eight or ten years old well let's see this came out in 1994 right yep how old were you i was nine yeah so there you go yeah yeah that's why i said eight to ten. Oh, there you go okay well, <laughs> but no every every single one of these poems i was like oh yeah yeah that that totally could have been me yep yep that yep but one poem which is called mom and me it's it's much shorter hmm. and it just talks about um how she how some kids make fun of the narrator for just having a mom and Anitra is like well you've got it good because your mom loves you twice as much so is that so bad and i was like wow that's a really nice way like a nice light to explain it to kids mm-hmm. to understand single parent households yes which still to this day is not really portrayed in books for kids all that often. At least not on the younger level, I'd say. I see it a lot in like older chapter books for kids, but picture books, not as much. I like that they acknowledge it and they they the way that it's described, it's I just like it. And it's a natural part of the story. It's not like the entire book is like me and my single mom. You yeah, know, no, it's it's no, like it's... just a natural part of her life. Right. It right. is the shortest, but it I do is, like but... that it was included. At least. Yeah, it's a character note, I'd yep. say. Mm-hmm. There's one poem called Sweet Blackberry where kids at school um, make fun of uh, her because her skin is so dark. Mm-hmm. Um, and... She says, well, then she says, then my mama tells me next time, honey, you just say the blacker, the berry, the sweeter, the juice. Mm -hmm. I was like, that's my favorite line (laughs) in this entire book. (laughs) Well, that's funny. The other book I was thinking of bringing in and I'm going to have to look up the exact title, but I believe that was the title. Just a second. Okay. The other book I was seriously thinking of bringing in, it was between this and another book that he illustrated called, I kid you not, The Black or the Berry, and it was not by this author. Huh. It was a different author. Turned out that book came out in 2008, so it was by you know Joyce Carol Thomas. It did not fall within our purview of 20 years, but that was the other one, and that's kind of crazy that you would that, not point that out. There's other poems about... Um, secrets and sharing, but there's this one poem called Bite Crazy. And oh, I, yeah, I can't actually look at that picture as a parent because it freaks me out. So I'm just going to look over here. So I was just talking to the penguin, penguinologist like maybe 
two days ago about how I don't remember wearing a helmet as a kid when I rode my no. bike. No, we never did. Yeah. So, and similar to Denitra, because, but I would not do what she's doing, which is riding the bike with her hands off the handlebars and her feet off yeah, the pedals. Yeah, that's the part that gets me. Like, the hands off the handlebars, I'm like, all right, fair play, that's fine. It's the fact that her, like, she is basically just balancing on the seat. And her glasses are going to fall off. Yes. And they're going to break. And she could not be more delighted by this entire thing. She is in heaven. Well, and her friend is yelling, fly, Denitra, fly. No, do not ask her to fly. She will hit something and she will fly <laughs> and you will feel terrible. Yes. Aww. Yeah, there's no poems about, like, breaking your arm. No, so apparently she knows okay. I, yeah. I did that when I was nine, but that's not On a, a bike? That, no, not on a bike. Ah, there you go. But this is the only poem that kind of bothers me, and it's only because I have a hard time reading it. Interesting. It's black font on kind of a dark orange <sighs> Yeah, background. the problem is, I mean, the thing with Floyd's art is, like I say, he does this wash, and then he takes away from it, and he, you know, I, don't know, I guess he must add stuff, too, because there's color there. But it's all very brown, and it can be hard if the text goes on top of it to yeah. read the black on the brown, because they're both rather dark. Yeah. Yeah. That I was, agree with that. That was the only issue. That, well, that, and I don't remember the title, but uh, <laughs> I don't... Yeah, I actually had that problem myself. I was like, alright, I know there's um, I know there's a, there's a Nicky Grimes book that he did. It's classic. What's, what's the name of it? I had to look it up. Because Meet Denitra Brown is a little difficult to remember. If it was just called Denitra. Denitra would be easy to remember. Yeah, I would remember Denitra because there is no book called Denitra. I would remember that. Oh my gosh, they should rename this book Denitra. <laughs> they should republish it and call it Denitra. But keep the illustrations because... Oh, absolutely. Oh my God, can you the, imagine? No, no one else should illustrate this. The portraits are my favorite, especially the ones in the very beginning and the very end. Um, they're very realistic, so mm -hmm. right up my alley. Um, yeah, and that's that's really all there is to say about yeah, it. Yeah, and I completely agree. This should have won a Caldecott um, when it came out. It's... It was one of his earliest books. It was not his first one. He suffered, uh, and this is a theory I have with the Caldecott. My theory is that if you have a unique style and it looks like nobody else's and it's super cool and you your first two or three books come out, the most you know shocking and amazing ones come out and you don't get a Caldecott with them, you will not get one because now you're old hat. Now we're used to you. Oh, we've seen you do that style before. Even if literally no one else on the planet can do it as well as you. And that I feel like is why he didn't win awards after a certain point, which is insane because he is clear, was clearly so good at what he did. Um, drives me a little crazy. I tried to find background information on this book. It's not easy. I know it must be out there somewhere. Whatever sources I was using, I was not coming across them. Um, I am going to include in the show notes a YouTube video that's an interview with Nikki Grimes herself. I should say, Nikki Grimes, the, the author, the poet behind this book, is one of those people so accomplished that you can't actually encapsulate their career. I wanted to do like a little quick like, here's who Nikki Grimes is. And then I just looked through her bio and I was like, nope, way too much stuff in here. Um... Let's just say multiple award-winning poet. Uh, and I, I did once find myself behind her in an airport in line to get on a plane. And I was so intimidated, I could not say boo to her. <laughs> I was like, that is Nikki Grimes. 
I will let her live her life and not interrupt <laughs> her because what am I going to say? Like, you're Nikki Grimes. You're good. You know, that's not going to be impressive. Anyway, she um, she did this interview uh, with Reading Rockets where she discusses, amongst many things, uh, the fact that she spent most of her childhood in foster homes. Her mom was a paranoid schizophrenic. Her dad was pretty much out of the picture. She was a very lonely kid, um, but she liked reading a lot and went on to become this incredibly accomplished, you know, writer and poet. Readings time. You go first. Oh boy, it's a hard call. Um, okay, so basically what we're looking at is a book that talks about a friendship between two black girls. Very realistic, naturalistic setting. The art is phenomenal. Um, yeah, it's dated in that it shows what life was like in 1994, which means it's now historical fiction. Um, it was contemporary fiction when it came out. Now it's historical fiction. That's not a crime. But the emotions are contemporary and have not aged. Um, the stories, be, you know, the, the friendship between the two girls, the, the strength is still there. It is still one of the strongest books to include casual mentions of single parenthood. Um, I I just got to say it's a, it's a strong book. It's a strong contender. Uh, I'm giving it a 7.2. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I said the same thing. It's a book about childhood friendship through short poems. I like it a lot because um, I was a lot like her when I was a kid in 1994, when I was also nine and wearing a lot of purple. Um, (laughs) I like that the two main characters are two black girls because I don't feel like you see that a lot in picture books. Not really. Um, No, really you don't. And I feel like you could use this book to teach kids to write their own poems. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, you totally could. You could, like, read one of these and be like, okay, now you write a poem about, um, like, going to the theater or telling secrets or well, and I feel riding like these your are, bike. Like, every poetry month, they pull out, like, the old dusty poetry books. And I feel like this is, like, one that really speaks to kids more. I feel like it's more interesting than a lot of the poetry they see. Yeah, just change the title, give it to Caldecott, and we're all set. There we so go! I gave it a seven. <laughs> Yay! So it's a classic. <laughs> yes. yes. I like the idea of a posthumous uh, Caldecott. Like, yeah, you get it now. It's, yep. Because I'm I more than said a, so. Yeah, it's two decades too late. But hey, now you do. Well, I didn't know this book until now. So well, there you go. Yeah, see that I know is sooner, a. I would have given the uh, Caldecott. Well, sooner, clearly so. it was around. The, the <laughs> flaw in your education. Uh, I blame the Kalamazoo school system. Oh, sorry, dudes. I do. I totally blame them. It should have been everywhere. Letters time. Ooh. All right, we got a good one today from Emily. Uh, and I'll just say, Emily works at the Roebling Point Books and Coffee Shop in Covington, Kentucky. So Ooh. should you find yourself in Covington, Kentucky, be sure you stop by the Roebling Point Books and Coffee and say hi to Emily here. And Emily writes, hi, Betsy. Hi, Kate. Hello. Hello. I recently enjoyed pos- podcast episode 10, The Berenstain Bears and the Bully. This email is kind of like I'm doing listener notes in reply to your show notes. First, Random House has made a couple of revisions to the text. And then she includes some, like, visual images. Tuffy is still in tears, but no longer alludes to an imminent spanking at home. Second... They hastily threw in a mention of parents being called in, so it now checks the box of the school involving the parents. And yet, this is such a sloppy ending. It claims that the Cubs learned to talk things out rather than fight, but no explanation of how that transpired. Show us. Don't 
tell us. And I seriously doubt that Tuffy's parents were conciliatory in the parents' meeting. I can't pin down when the text revision happened. I just know that the copy my store purchased from Random House in 2021 has the new text. Maybe someone at Random House heard your podcast in 2017 <laughs> and decided they should shape up. Yeah, I don't know about that. Absolutely. That must be what happened. <laughs> we are so influential. Yeah. Yay. Last but not least, may I introduce you to another real life incarnation of the Great Green Room. This is, of course, the Great Green Room found in uh, Goodnight Moon. This is the meeting and author event room at Blue Marble Books in Fort Thomas, Kentucky. Isn't it fantastic? You guys obviously can't see this because of the magic of podcasting, but I will put it in the show notes so you guys can see. She goes on to say, Blue Marble Books is an independent children's bookstore, and they've been doing a stellar job of it for over 40 years. A real treasure worth visiting. If you find yourselves interested in a sister's road trip, Greater Cincinnati is just a six-hour drive from Chicago. I, I wonder if the bookstore also includes, like, the ghosts to come in and out, like, at times. If know, it's cause... a proper bookstore, it would have to, I would think. Right? I, I mean, mean, I don't want to see good it unless independent there's bookstore. a ghost grandmother. So. Yeah, exactly. I mean, every good independent bookstore has a ghost. So, yeah, that's just already written into the fabric of the whole thing. Thanks for letting me share the Berenstain text update and brag about the blue marble when the chance presented itself. I have many more podcast episodes to catch up on. Keep up. Oh yeah, the good you're work. only on ten. Yeah, you got to waste go, good sweetie. Lord. <laughs> you may you may want to skip around a little. It's uh, it's, uh, it's just a little little. Uh, you can listen to podcasts tip. in like you know in two speed time. So we just talk. Oh, super that's true. Quickly. Then we got then we got like chipmunks. Exactly. Exactly. I do that with my audiobooks. It's uh. It's delightful. It's yeah. like Chip and Dale reading to me. And before, like back in the day, we didn't like set the podcast to be a half hour. So you oh, listen true. to us for a good 45 minutes. It's, that's very true. <laughs> we were very broad with how long we spoke. All right. Grown up things we like. So I caved and watched uh, Black Widow on Disney+. Plus. Oh, what'd you think of it? Well, first of all, we figured out the math that it's actually the same price to watch the movie in the theater versus getting it uh, on Disney Plus. And which would you prefer? Uh, at home. One, mm-hmm. no COVID. Two, true. we can pause it whenever we want. True. Three, the drinks and popcorn are free. Mm-hmm. Uh, true. Yeah. Much rather watch it at home. Okay. So I've already watched it twice. <laughs> twice? <laughs> yeah. What? Because of all the like, why? <laughs> because I had heard people say it's not good. It's one of Marvel's worst movies, and I highly disagree. Okay. Black Widow went from introducing this woman who was objectified as a sexual object oh, yeah. in Iron Man 2. Oh, very much to so. To finally being the first major female character getting her own movie. I in wouldn't say. In the Marvel universe, yes. Yeah. Well, um, except for Ms. Marvel. Well, Captain Marvel was Captain Marvel. not. I'm the, sorry, Captain Marvel. Was, I'm hoping for a Miss Marvel. Yeah, no, but and yeah. she wasn't like a major female character beforehand. No, so this no. is the first major female character getting her own movie. It's directed by a woman, Kate Shoreland. It's the first female solo director of an MCU film. ScarJo is the executive producer, and you've got a WandaVision writer uh, getting a story credit on Black Widow as well. Um, so I like all these different female perspectives actually getting to give the story of black widow um mm-hmm. it takes place after the events of cap america civil war and but it's a- before some of the later yeah. films yes uh it's a lot darker than 
a lot of other Marvel movies, but I think it's because of the character's backstory. So, uh, mom, just so you know, children are in peril in the first 10 minutes. <laughs> uh, it's, but like getting to see a woman as the lead, seeing strong women beat up other women and men, I think it was revolutionary to watch, but it also has its moments of comedy where like, Black Widow's sister makes fun of her landing pose, <laughs> which if you ever watch, everyone knows her landing pose. Yeah, it's where very she, iconic. Like, yeah. She sticks one leg out. One leg she has out, one the other leg hand on is the down. Yeah, yeah, and her sister makes fun of that, which is great. And they also talk about their hysterectomies, uh, which shouldn't be funny, but they make it work. And <laughs> I think it's 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 a funny scene because you know it's something that they were forced to have done, but they make. Um, the the guy who plays Hopper on Stranger Things. I know he's my favorite. He's in it. They make him I feel him. super uncomfortable when they talk about it. So it's so you would call this movie hysterical. Um, sure. That's that's. I'm gonna go as her as Black Widow for Halloween. It's, oh well, there you go. It's been decided. It's oh, happening. Sure. I'm Great. doing it. Good, 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 good. Uh, my grow up thing is something I saw in a theater. So uh, there is a documentary out called Summer of Soul. Uh, it is a documentary that was filmed in 1969 and never released. So apparently in 1969, there was a huge Harlem Cultural Festival in Mount Morris Park, which was right by where I used to live when I lived in in Harlem. And it went for five days. It had all the heavy hitters. It had, you know, Stevie Wonder, Nina Simone, Sly and the Family Stone, The Fifth Dimension. And then nobody wanted to release it. They were like, we already just had Woodstock. We don't need another. This is like what? Black Woodstock? We're not interested. And so it sat in a basement until now when it was the footage, the raw footage was all given um, and, and, and turned into this documentary. And it is amazing. The crazy thing was that the highlight for me of the film is that, you know, Martin Luther King had been shot not that long before. And they have this amazing sequence, by the way, of all the assassinated people as each person's assassinated, each, the next one comments on the death of the previous one. So you've got like Martin Luther King's been shot and you've got Malcolm X talking about Malcolm X gets shot and J, you know, John JFK talks about JFK gets shot and Bobby Kennedy talks about J Bobby Kennedy gets shot. And Martin Luther King's favorite song was uh, precious Lord, take my hand. Uh, particularly when it was sung by Mahalia Jackson. So Mahalia Jackson is there singing the song, and then she literally passes the torch, which is to say the microphone, to Mavis Staples. It is the best moment in the film. Highly recommend it. If you can see it in the theater, go see uh, Summer of Soul. If you can't, uh, stream it on Hulu. It is it is there, too. Cool. Yay! Nice. And that brings us to the end of our show. Yeah. We've got a couple big events coming up, like, you know, first day of school's coming up and uh, and all this other stuff. And I, I have some books uh, I have some books ready for these events. Or there's so. the Canadian book. Or there's Canadian book, if I can get my hands on it. But I would love, I would it love might, if people can call with this book. It is. might be a long process, but I'm sure you can figure it out. Oh, my God. <laughs> all right. All right. All right. On that note, I've been Betsy. I'm Kate. Bye. Fuse8 and Kate is a Fuse Number 8 production. You can reach us at FuseKate8 at gmail.com. You can follow our podcast on Twitter at Fuse underscore Kate. You can follow us on Instagram at Fuse8Kate. That's Fuse Number 8 Kate. Listen to us on Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, or Player FM, or follow us on iTunes and rate our podcast if you're so inclined. Our music is by Haddon Kime, and our party motivator is Drew Atienza. 
Fuse 8 and Kate is a creation of Kate Atienza and Betsy Bird.